Hi, everyone, and welcome to the On the Horizon RC Podcast. I'm your host and Horizon President, Chris Dickerson. And with me, as always, our Marketing Director, Steve Petrado. Steve, how are you doing out there? Uh, doing well, Chris. Weather is uh, turning to fall, and it's uh, what I what I like to call the rush to get into some more flying before it gets too cold. <laughs> but I've uh, been out there at the field here and there over the weekends trying to get as many flights in as possible. And I know there's a lot of folks out there probably doing the same thing this time of year. Um, but yeah, things are things are great. The year is coming to a close faster than I ever thought it would. Um, but I think most of us are ready for a, a new fresh year at this point. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, how, how have you been? <laughs> uh, okay. And, you know, it was great. You know, I got to bump into you a little bit last week. And I think it was last week. Mm-hmm. It all kind of blends together, like you said. But we are definitely getting this, you know, end of summer, uh, you know, great fall weather here in the Midwest. And, you know, last week when we had our employee drive through, um, it was nice to get to see you a little bit. Certainly good to see some of the Horizonites. Uh, come through as we gave them their care packages and uh, just, you know, getting to at least kind of socially distance, see some folks that I, you know, we haven't really got to see in it's almost six months now, Steve, it's hard to believe yeah. that uh, it, it's been that long, but, um, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's definitely cool to uh, you know, it, it's wonderful weather to be outside, to be out flying, driving, enjoying the hobby. So, you know, if you're cooped up working from home, uh, now's a good time to get outside and enjoy the weather um, for most of us here, you know, around the world. So, um, yeah, definitely good. And, you know, with that, Steve, maybe just jumping into some of the Horizon news, you know, uh, like you said, it is fall, which means for us, as you know, we're gearing up for the holidays uh, before we know, mm-hmm. it, uh, you know, it's going to be Halloween. And then it's the full on, you know, it kind of jumps from unfortunately jumps from Halloween to Christmas and uh, the holiday season. And so we are definitely doing all we can, working hard to make sure we're expediting inventory, getting it in here as quickly as possible. Um, You know, we have had a lot of demand for some great products um, that we've come out with and we have in the portfolio right now. And we're trying to make sure we have all those hot items so that uh, if you've been a good boy or girl this year, you know, you can <laughs> you can uh, get get something you know special here as we get to the end of the year. Or maybe you've just been good and you deserve to buy yourself something. Um, I'm, I'm a firm yeah. believer in that, too. So um, whatever your excuse is, you know, we're, we're going to try to make sure we have the product you need. It's definitely been an uphill fight with everything going on this year. Um, definitely not a normal year for our supply chain, but we're working hard. And uh, I think along those same lines, you know, we've added a significant amount of staff to our product support and customer service teams. We know a lot of people have jumped into the hobby the, over this last six months, which we love. We're excited to have uh, new people getting into it, uh, but it has increased our call volume and it's taken us longer to get back to people than we really want to. Um, we've, we, we are definitely staffing up and we do expect as we get into the holiday rush to have those people trained and on the phones and on chat and on email to take care of our customers. It's an important part of who Horizon is, is providing an exceptional customer experience. And uh, we're, we're working hard in pretty difficult times to get back to that. So, um, you know, stay tuned. And, uh, you know, we're looking for a pretty exciting uh, Q4 here for us. Yeah, definitely. It's been a, it's been a great year for RC product across the industry. Um, and, uh, you know, it's 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 awesome to see so many people coming into the hobby, and you touched on that a little bit. Uh, and I hope that those folks will continue to enjoy the hobby, and we'll hopefully get to see all those new faces at the field and at the track next year as we all get back to traveling. 
Um, but but the next section we have, it wouldn't be a Horizon podcast without some announcements. And uh, we've we've had a ton since the last time we had a podcast. We had a couple week break here. Uh, we had a lot of stuff going on at Horizon. But getting back to it, guys, um, we've had quite a few, and I won't cover all of them because there's just so many to speak of, including things down to tires and receivers and uh, ESCs. But the core uh, exciting stuff we've had the uh, the Mini Aero Scout come out, which is a $99 ready to fly RC airplane. Uh, very, uh, very durable. It's made out of EPP foam. So you can crash it pretty hard and it won't damage the foam really flexible. Um, but a great gift uh, for someone for just getting into the hobby for 99 bucks. We've had the mini T 2.0 brushless version uh, that came out, which if you remember, Chris, we had the anniversary version, which yeah. I think had uh, the brushless setup in it. So now it this is. is the normal uh, version without the anniversary stuff on there as a brushless ready to run. Uh, we've had a really exciting re- release with uh, with a Navy aircraft. A lot of Navy guys excited about this. The Blue Angels 80 millimeter EDF uh, based on our current F-18 platform, uh, which uh, many of you have been excited about. It's a great flying airplane, awesome scale details, great landing gear. Um, and, and, and as the RC sailors pointed out just the other day, they posted a video on this, one of the best. And they said, we don't really give awards out. But if we could, this would be the best sounding RC airplane out there right now. Uh, the the way the, wow. the tail cones are shaped makes this thing sound like a real jet aircraft, uh, even though it is electric. So really cool announcement there. We've had um, a really good run for the air category. The V1200 came out. Uh, this one is a 140 mile an hour out of the box uh, race plane, basically. Uh, with retracts, we've taken the V900. We've not just scaled it up in CAD, but we've uh, done a lot of improvements. There's over 30, I think Matt said, 30 pieces of carbon fiber inside the aircraft to keep it uh, structurally sound at those kind of speeds. It also includes our uh, retract system in there. And of course, it includes smart technology. So you're going to have all your battery data as you're zooming at full throttle. You want to really know what your battery is doing. So it has all that technology wrapped into it. Um, And then the Surface team also released the Super Baja Ray 2.0 with Smart. And guys, if you have not seen this product video, I mean, it's a knockout of the park. It's an amazing video. It it gives me goosebumps watching the full-scale Brenthal truck racing with the uh, with the, with the RC version. Uh, Chris, I know that that one put a smile on all of our faces to see that launch video. And it's such yeah, a great improvement yeah. over the current already awesome super Baja Ray. Yeah. Some great and uh, then, scale detail okay. from the surface team. Uh, I think on that one that, um, you know, really, like you said, when you, when they're running the RC version and the real one together, I mean, scale is so important as you know, Steve, right now on, on, mm-hmm. uh, with our RC uh, community and so, uh, yeah, I think the the low C guys kind of kind of knocked it out of the park with that product, really tying it into the full scale product and having the two together in the video, very cool um, and yeah. great on the V twelve hundred too. I mean, one hundred forty miles an hour. I mean, there may be some Arma guys out there that need to take a look at that airplane. Uh, some of those Arma speed yeah, guys, yeah. Yeah, that's straight and level. We uh, we learned our lesson. We we only market straight and level flight. So guys, you can clearly beat that in a dive. Uh, <laughs> and I know if you haven't seen the on the fly episode uh, that Pete and Allie did, we're we're back up and running with on the flies. Uh, but we just released our first one in a while uh, on the V twelve hundred, and and so their goal now is to hit one seventy five. And uh, wow. in that video, they do some real basic curves, and they get over one fifty. Uh, without even really trying with no diving. So I think they're going to, ma- they're probably going to clear that, that goal, probably hop right over that goal. Uh, but we'll see. I'm sure they'll get uh, 
some pretty cool speed runs in there. Hopefully the airplane stays together, but Matt's pretty <laughs> confident in how strong it's built. <laughs> Very cool. And uh, guys, last but not least, and, and really the topic of uh, our podcast today, the Real Flight 9.5 uh, release was put out. And the neat thing with this is it's a little different than in the past. If you own Real Flight 9, you're going to get 9.5 for free. Uh, there's no cost involved. So if you have 9, the 9.5 release will be uh, a free upgrade. It will happen automatically, uh, whether you're on Steam or if you have just bought the software from us, you'll have to be online and it will upgrade itself. Um, but yeah, Real Flight 9.5, awesome. The V1200 is in there. Um, so you can definitely check that out. We've got some really good trainer aircraft as well as a host of other, even the, the new Hangar 9 pits is in there. Uh, but definitely check out Real Flight 9.5. So without uh, without going into too much more detail, that's pretty much been our announcements over the past couple of weeks. And uh, don't worry, guys, there is still more to come when it comes to products. Uh, that's kind of our forte here at Horizon. We can pump out some really great stuff constantly. So stick around, stay tuned, and enjoy the uh, the ride through the end of the year with all some really great releases coming up. Yeah, well, Steve, you know, uh, hearing the V-1200 is in real flight, I think takes us right into our podcast this week. Um, first of all, I need to practice a lot if I'm going to go uh, that fast with an airplane. <laughs> but uh, I know real flight's got me taken care of. It certainly has helped my confidence. And like you said, uh, this has been a great tool for engagement as we've uh, been been through the, not being able to go out to the flying fields this year. And our guest this week is none other than Jeremy Siebens the lead developer for Real Flight. We're going to talk to him a lot about the new version 9.5 and uh, maybe even some Easter eggs that are out there. So uh, why don't we hop into the podcast? Let's get Jeremy in here and get talking. All right, Chris, sounds good. Let's do it. All right. Okay, Steve, today we have a very exciting guest joining the podcast. Uh, he is someone who's behind the scenes of one of the most prolific RC flight simulators the world has ever known. He is certainly bringing up our GPA for the podcast this week, Steve. We have uh, our guest this week has a, a bachelor's of science in aerospace, aeronautical, and astronautical engineering. So like I said, we are bringing up the GPA. Uh, he is an RC enthusiast as well. Please welcome uh, Jeremy Siebens from Knife Edge Software to the show. Jeremy, thank you for joining us. How have you been? I've been pretty good. Um, I'm out in Oregon, and things have certainly been strange over the last, well, months for everybody and the last few weeks here, but uh, we've settled into a smoke-free kind of fall weather, and uh, we're really enjoying it. Yeah, you, you, uh, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, with you being in Oregon, it's definitely been an interesting uh, last six or nine months here uh, on on many fronts, right? Um, so it's glad sure to hear. Have. Glad to hear you're doing okay and you're safe, first of all. So that's that's a really good way to start this off. So thank you and uh, glad all's well. Um, well, let's get started here a little bit, Jeremy. We want to learn a little bit about you. Uh, maybe you could just give us a little bit of an intro. You know. Tell somebody who's out there listening to the podcast, you know, what you do at Knife Edge and uh, how you got working in the RC industry. Sure. Um, so at Knife Edge, um, I, have, I wear a couple of hats. Um, I lead all of our development on simulator software. So that includes Real Flight at this point. Um, I also am our aerospace engineer on staff. So all of the work that we do with like developing new physics or even just matching up with uh, the aircraft that are coming out in real flight, that falls to me as well. And I really enjoy both of those roles. Um, every now and then it gets a little tricky to juggle between them, but that's that's what we do. But most of the time, um, I have a great team to work with. And 
we get a lot done. My, my biggest job in the in the leading development role is talking people out of doing interesting things that they want to try. Uh, we're really fortunate to have a bunch of very enthusiastic, very enthusiastic, very smart people at Knife Edge, and we unfortunately can't get all of the things done that we have ideas for. <clears throat> Excuse me. But then the the real fun starts when I get to put on my aerospace engineer hat and I pull out the textbooks and and do the math and work on either the software inside the physics or um, take a, an airplane out to the to the flying field, put some instruments on it, and fly it around to test how well it's matching up to what's going on inside the simulator. That's um, those are the good days when I just kind of get to go out and bask in the sun. I know the product development folks at Horizon get to do that too. Um, it's kind of tiring some days, but it's a good tired. Yeah, it's it's pretty good uh, to be able to call that work. I have to admit, um, you know, and, and sometimes you have to almost kind of remind yourself it is still work. But um, but you're right, that is definitely a perk of the job is being able to get out to the field and uh, and uh, enjoy, like you said, bask in the sun. It, I definitely know when we're uh, heading into good weather, and then like right now when we're kind of burning through the end of uh, fall here, or you know, into summer, into early fall here in the Midwest is. Uh, everybody's out at the field trying to squeeze in some last days in the sun and warmth uh, before we head into winter for sure. Yeah, it's true. Last Friday, um, I, I, I stole a, a few hours to get, I wanted to fly every aircraft that we've put into into 9.5 one last time before we released. And I missed it by a day. I, got, I was out there one day after it released with my last three airplanes, but I was I was going to take that, that light, late September weather because it's amazing. Yeah, definitely a definitely a nice perk of the job. <laughs> yeah. So, how did you get started working at Knife Edge in the RC industry in general? Um, well, as far as the RC industry in general, um, I guess I'll start there. Uh, when I was a grad student at, at UIUC there in Champaign Urbana, um, I saw a job posting for someone in R and D at Habaco, and I applied. and It took a few months to work through the process, uh, but ended up taking getting that job and. And that was my start uh, as a pro in the industry. I had learned to fly when I was, I believe, 13. I, I built myself a Bob Martin Bobcat. That seemed, it's a, it was an aileron uh, glider at the time. It wasn't very light. It wasn't a really good soarer, but it was the airplane that I thought looked the coolest. So I built one and immediately crashed it on the first flight and immediately <laughs> crashed it on the second flight. And by the time it was more glue than balsa, I had figured out how to fly gliders off of a high start. Um, and that was... I was hooked at that point. Very cool. So what did you do at HobbyCo kind of early on? You just more on the product development side, not working on real flight, I would assume. <laughs> That's right. So I was, uh, I was not, I, I occasionally worked on real flight when uh, G3, I believe was coming out. Uh, they brought a test machine out to R and D and it was one of the things that we were asked to do as to when we had a break or needed to wait for something to cure or something like that to go fly it and give feedback so as in, that was my first involvement in in real flight development, though it wasn't as a yeah as as someone like you say in product development it was more just physics feedback and that was a lot of fun. I had been experienced with real flight since real flight classic when I was uh, when I was in school at Mississippi State in the aerospace department. There, I uh, I built out a lab as part of my job of eight machines running real flight classic that we use to teach flight dynamics to, to aerospace grads on or aerospace uh, undergrads on it. Uh, it's really easy to teach that with models because they do things faster than real airplanes. So you can see flight modes that you might not see on, uh, on a full scale aircraft. And it was a really exciting project. And we ended up taking it to Oshkosh to, 
uh, to Air Venture there, where the EAA stuck us in their kid venture tent and we taught kids to fly real flight. So real flight's been a part of my professional life since before it was my job, but I've enjoyed wow. it every step of the way. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So how do you, how does someone like you get involved with kind of all three forms? Like Chris mentioned it in the intro, uh, aerospace, you know, astronautical, all those all those three things. Were you just a super aviation nerd growing up, or was your father into it, or how did that all work out? Yeah, so um, it was my dad that got me started. He helped. He showed me how to build um, a paper airplane when I was four that I thought was completely fascinating. You may have seen it. It's one where it has kind of a tail sticking out the back, and you throw it backwards, and it flips itself around and flies forward. And that was that was magic to me, and I had to know why it happened. And it would take me about a decade to learn, you know, to really get the understanding of it. But that got me hooked on on how airplanes fly. It's not just the the fact that they create lift. Um, but that they have, that they're built in ways that keep the nose pointed forward and that you can trim them for level flight. And all that starts with, with, with one paper airplane for me. Um, I did a little side trip into opera. I, I studied, uh, I became interested in classical music and studied classical voice for about three years in college and then switched back to engineering. But that was definitely a switch back. I was coming home. Wow, cool. that's very cool. I was going to mention, I was going to give you a compliment. You have a, you have a, like a nice radio voice, Jeremy. Uh, so that makes, oh, thank you. makes sense that you have voice training. I was going to, I meant to say something a little bit ago. I was like, wow, you, you have a nice, uh, like, like I said, like radio voice. Uh, so that <laughs> well, make, thanks. makes a little more sense now. So uh, that very cool. That's, that's a big change though. Um, and if, if I remember right in some of the background, Steve always gives me a little background notes and I, I, I'd forgotten you uh, went to school here in, in Champaign. So even that's really cool. Um, but if I remember right, you also spent a little time teaching uh, in your past in middle school. Um, how, how was that experience and, and you know, what did you teach? So I had a, a really unique opportunity to teach seventh grade engineering. Um, I was, I was teaching in a STEM magnet school. I had done a program called the Woodrow Wilson, Indiana teaching fellowship in Indianapolis. Uh, and it was a program to transition professionals into, uh, you know, in other fields, particularly STEM fields, uh, into teaching. And I, I got the opportunity to teach at the Harshman magnet middle school, uh, in, you know, uh, near downtown Indianapolis, not in downtown. And I, I took seventh graders and I, I, had a, I had a mentor teacher my first year that I was there and we developed this big curriculum and then I continued it. Um, my main goal was to, was to reinforce their math uh, skills, but we would reinforce everything. So we would take seventh graders and they would have to, we'd lay a project before them and then I'd have them break out in their small groups and they would need to build a plan to do that project including a drawing and a bill of materials. And then they'd send over their materials manager to get the materials and, and do a build. And whatever it was that I had heard from their, you know, their main area teachers over the, over the week would be the things that we'd build into that activity. So if it was math, there was a lot of measurement and making sure that, you know, you could sum up these dimensions in real ways because positive and negative numbers and addition is one of those things you're really working hard on in seventh grade. So those are just some examples, but it was a, it was a really great experience. Um, we worked from a pro pro program called Project Lead the Way, which I recommend to anyone, any school that's interested in, in building out an engineering program to reinforce your other curriculum. And, uh, and I would still be teaching middle school if I hadn't moved to Oregon. My wife uh, was changed jobs from a position at IUPUI in Indianapolis. She's a professor and now at Oregon State University. And that's how I ended up at Knife Edge. 
is that uh, when, when I say Oregon State, what's what, where's that? That's in Corvallis, Oregon. Hey, I know somebody in Corvallis, um, and I'd had a. <laughs> had a long relationship with Jim Burke, the owner of Knife Edge. And at the time of RC Groups, he's, he's since sold it. So he has since sold RC Groups. Um, and I got in touch and ended up uh, getting, a, get a, getting a position at Knife Edge. That's how I ended up here. Wow. Very cool. Well, that middle school teaching experience, I'm sure, was rewarding and challenging at the same time. And definitely uh, a little different than how <laughs> most teachers are going through their curriculum today with e-learning. But uh, that's kind of cool. Cool experience for sure. Yeah, it really was. So, um, and just uh, one more thing. I, no- I noticed on your LinkedIn, you also worked for kind of an oil products company as a product engineer. What was some of the work you did there? Yeah, so that was at Rolligon NOV. Um, that, was a, that, was, that was probably the job that grew me the most professionally, even though I think I was there for less than a year. Um, my, uh, we, they, they build oil field stimulation equipment, and, and my job was frack units. So you hear about hydraulic fracturing, which is a way of stimulating an oil well to produce more oil once it's sort of tapped out a bit. Um, I built frack units, and they were uh, these gigantic things. It was, it was, as an engineer, it was so much fun. We'd take these 2,000-plus uh, horsepower uh, Cummins diesel engines and put them on a, on a, on a tractor-trailer trailer. And made them up to a pump that weighed a thousand pounds that could they could shove water into the into the ground. I believe it was at fifteen thousand psi, and I frankly don't remember the volume flow rate, but it's it's by far the largest pump I've ever seen. Um, the way they failed is they would break their heads off, and the heads were held on with bolts two inches thick, and there were there were four bolts per cylinder, so you can imagine the amounts of force that's a lot uh, of that force. were at play. Yeah, it was it was <laughs> wow. pretty crazy stuff. Wow, and I had a blast. I got to work. Uh, I would I would develop drawings in the sh- in the in the office, and work with designers to finalize those drawings, and then go out and liaise with the shop to get the units built. And just that that experience of kind of crawling over a giant steel thing that you're you're designing and helping someone build was um, a great way to learn how to keep keep projects rolling. That's very, pretty impressive stuff. <laughs> yeah, very cool. So how how into RC, you kind of mentioned earlier, you know, your dad teaching you to fly the the paper airplane and then, you know, building building the glider when you got into school. D- did you do a lot of other RC or, or was that kind of how you got into the hobby, um, you know, coming up prior and then ultimately leading to, to Knife Edge? You talked a little bit about, I guess you kind of a little bit lucked into it just by knowing Jim. Um, but you know, were you, were you kind of an avid RCist in the, in the interim there or, or how much? I've been you- sort of a, uh, earlier on in my life, I was a sporadic avid RCist. <laughs> um, if that makes <laughs> sense, I would go through periods of great yeah. seriousness and then I'd set it down for a while. Um, all through my teenage years, I was pretty into it. I did a lot of, I, I was a sailplane pilot all through high school. I never, I never picked up powered flight until after I was in college. Um, and I, I was pretty serious about it. I didn't have a ton of money. I was, you know, a teenager. And, uh, and so I tended to fix things a lot and I flew on my old JR AM radio, you know, all the way up through again, until I went, until I was in, in, in engineering school, actually. Um, I laid it down for a few years when I was uh, studying opera. I'd still pick up the glider and a glider or two and fly, but it wasn't something I was organizing my, you know, my weeks around. But then when I went off to Mississippi state, um, I, there were there was a really active community people doing sailplanes and powered flight there. We had a little um, the South Farm they called it, 
where we had a, a spot that we'd asked them to keep in grass that we could we kept mowed as a grass strip. And I got I got that's where I got to the point where I was flying. You know, I learned to fly powered flight, which isn't a real trick for for a sailplane pilot once you learn how to tune an engine. Um, and I learned how to fly helicopters, which is a real trick for a sailplane pilot. Um, <laughs> and and it kind of went from there. It snowballed. The Mississippi State's a really unique school um, in aerospace engineering in that they still fly a lot, both subscale stuff like models and UAVs, and they even have a full scale fleet that you can that they instrument out and and take up and do flight experimentation with. Um, so to succeed in that program, at least on the, on the aero side, uh, really meant that you needed to be into that in some way. And for me, that was RC piloting. I did our AAA design build fly team there, uh, which was a great experience as both an engineer and a pilot. And, um, yeah, it was a great place for me. That's where I really built my RC hobby. And since then it's been pretty active again, except for a period, um, after my first, uh, after my daughter was born or my first child was born, that makes it real hard to keep up with RC. So uh, for about four or five years there, I didn't fly much. Um, but then I then I then was able to get back into it with my students at Harshman um, and a little bit and even more. Of course, after I moved out here and, and was back at Knife Edge, that, that, that put me straight back into it. And it's been great. Well, so what would you say, since you're a sailplane guy, that may, this may be an easier question, but uh, what's kind of your favorite or what's your go-to RC airplane? Um. Well, uh, these days it's, it generally isn't a sailplane. I, I still keep a Timber X in the back of the van cause I can fly that just about any which way I can, I can train my son on it. He's interested in, in flying these days and, uh, and I can, you know, flip the rates up and, and ring it out. That's great. But my all time favorite is probably, and this is silly, but it's the, the air the model I have the most time on ever was a mini IFO. Um, when I was at UIUC, there was the, at the, the stock pavilion there was open most nights and it had sort of a, a mulch floor. So it was pretty safe for your airplanes and a couple of, a couple of buddies in the department and I built mini IFOs and we'd take them out there and we'd have toilet paper combat and we'd, you know, just fly around and see what we could do with these little, just early in the days of successful electric flight. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 my, my, at the time I had a JR8103 and it had a model tracking timer on it. I don't know if you remember that that feature. But, um, I know I left the radio on a couple of times, but it still had, you know, the number read 260 when I retired that model. That's a lot of hours for me on, on a little tiny model. Yeah. And then for those of you that don't know, or I don't know, Chris, if you had a chance to Google it while you were there, but are listening to that, it's very similar to like an overgrown uh, vapor. If you're familiar with our vapor products. Um, I guess it's about comparison. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of this, you know, almost fabric design, uh, with a sink, simple rudder design. Um, I guess it has rudder elevator, but, um, yeah, it's very, it was an very plane. They didn't have rudders and that oh, was one of the modifications okay. we tried uh, okay. to put a rudder on, but without any fuselage side area, it turns out they don't do a lot <laughs> and the airplane <laughs> okay. just flies sideways. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, that's, uh, very cool. that's a, oh, interesting. That's a, that's your favorite aircraft. <laughs> yeah. Well, like- oh, it's my, it's my most warmly remembered, shall I say, <laughs> sure. shall we say, um, oh, yeah. But, you know, it's different horses for different courses. If you ask me that question in three days, I'm sure I might have a different answer. <laughs> Fair enough. I know yeah. the feeling. Yeah, well, and, you know, I, I think my kids are a little or, older than yours, Jeremy, but I, I will say, uh, you know, giving you a little encouragement, it sounds like you're already on it, but, you know, as the kids get a little older, you can use them as an excuse to uh, to fly or, you know, enjoy RC a little bit because you can say, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to take the kids out and uh, spend some time with them. So, um, you know, that, that's nice. It is tough when they're really little to, to justify to a spouse that you want to go out and 
fly your RC airplane. But um, now at least we can all call it work. So that that's a good excuse that we have the, the luxury of. So, hey, let's let's shift gears back here real quick and talk. start talking about real flight a little bit. Um, can you maybe walk someone through uh, what it takes to develop this software? Like you mentioned at the beginning, we're just now coming out with the new version 9.5. Uh, maybe walk through that process. I know your team's relatively small, but you guys develop a lot of software. So maybe just give us an overview of that development process and what it takes to come out with a, a new version of RealFlight. Sure. Um, and you pointed out that we've got RealFlight 9.5 coming out. And, and as an X.5 release, um, those tend to be really content related, content heavy. We're working hard on, rather than building new features into the software, getting uh, a lot more content out to the user. So I'll walk through that type of, of development process first because uh, we're always doing that. Um, so when we have an airplane that we want to get into real flight or a helicopter, we first work on assembling a good reference package. Um, and, and I have to throw a lot of compliments Horizon's way on this process that um, the folks there have been great about getting us all the information they can as soon as they can. Obviously, it's not necessarily all in place, given what whatever's happening at the factory, and especially since communicating with the factory has been strange. But once we get that reference package together, and that includes, you know, a 3D CAD of the aircraft, um, all of the trim scheme specifications, uh, sometimes it's a sample, sometimes it's a detailed photo package, but we, we, we need a lot of detail what's going on in the airplane because we try to put a lot in the simulator. Uh, once that's together, it goes to an artist, and that artist actually... Um, I even had a misconception about this for a while. Uh, the artist can't just use the 3D CAD that comes to us. That's um, usually the output from something like SolidWorks. So for the engineers out there, or engineer adjacent people you've used or seen SolidWorks, it's used to create a solid, solid model of things, but it does it very mathematically. It says, it doesn't say, let's put you know a vertex or a polygon here. It says, there is a curve, and that curve is described by the equation such and such and so and so. And you're going to sweep this cross section across that curve. You can render that on a screen, but it's not very it's not a, it's not an efficient model like we would use in a game engine like Real Flight. So the artist has to actually go through and remodel the entire aircraft based on that CAD. They're essentially tracing the engineer's work, um, and so that takes some time. But it gives us a model that can carry the level of detail that we have without getting visual artifacts and without being too expensive to render. So, uh, so that Real Flight can continue to run on basically any Windows PC. So that's the first part is the artist remodels the aircraft and then they have to basically paint it. They put textures on the aircraft. Those include the colors that you see, but there's also a technology that we use called normal maps, which helps us add some visual detail to the model without having to add more geometry to it and other, other tricks and tips, you know, and, well, tricks that, that get game artists used. So once that art is complete, um, it usually comes to me for physics setup. Um, Sometimes there we have a couple of other folks here who can do physics setup as well, and they do a great job. But right now they're busy with other things. So I've been I've been handling basically all of our setup, and that means that I have to go and kind of do the same thing. Um, we don't take our physics directly from the art. We have to look at it and make an engineering decision about how to represent any given piece of art as physics. So some things are fuselages, some things are wings, some things are engines. All those things behave differently and have different jobs. So we assign it physics. And, and I spend a lot of time measuring models. Um, I go back to the actual physical model if I can, and, and literally down to the millimeter, check the, the wing dimensions. I put it on this, put parts on the scale to see what it weighs. And then we, 
then once all that's done, I have a, a first shot at the physics model. In general, that's about 95% right. Um, it's already a little bit spooky how close it flies to the real thing, but there's stuff that we have to still go through and measure, and that's when the flight testing comes in. And flight testing comes in a couple of ways. Uh, one is that we send a preview build to Horizon. We've been using Steam to do that, and it's been it's been a really nice tool, um, having Steam and the ability to just kind of push an update out to the product developers. And they fly it and the model and against their expert knowledge of what the real thing flies like and provide their feedback. And I do what I was talking about earlier. I put instruments on the model and I go out and I fly it at the field and, and get some data myself. And that lets me uh, finish up a few things like stall characteristics and you know how fast does it roll when you're at full throttle. You never know, especially on like E-flight foam planes, exactly how much that aileron is going to flex back. So it's not going to have as much full effect at full speed as, as it might at, at low speed. It doesn't move as far because it can't against the air. Just, these are just some little samples of, of all the, 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 you know, the, the questions that we have to go through and answer in order to get a model tuned. And at the end of the day, that leaves us with about, it takes about a month um, to get a model done at the, at, if everything is going exactly right. Now, we can overlap them some because some of that is waiting for feedback. Um, but that's where we end up. That's really what ends up setting our calendar as far as how many models we can get into real flight. And it's been great. In these last few releases with Horizon, we've, we've released more models each year, and each year has been a record. And I don't know how long we can keep that up, but I'm looking forward to finding out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, our, I know our fans have been super excited about 9.5 and all the great models that were in there. Um, when we showed it off at the, uh, in our Real Flight Lives every other week, people were really having a good time checking out. We were flying you know, model after model after model, kind of like what you were trying to do the other day, just to fly everything on the full hour that we have with everybody to show everything off. And it's been super well received. And I know uh, just, just by hearing that process, I hope people understand and appreciate it that much more because it's not just, Oh, we send the cat over, you guys pop it in the game and it's good to go. There are so many steps in the process uh, on your guys' side. And then there's a ton on our side too, with making sure that, you know, an alley flies the hangar nine pits, it flies like the hangar nine pits, even though you've got the physics behind it, there's always that, well, it does this better than us, and it, that may not show up in the true raw math. Um, that, that to me, is a really cool part of the process. It really is, and I'm really proud of the fact that every model in the sim has been flown by its primary product developer and approved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's and, and and that shows that creates better quality models for us, honestly. Because one thing I want to say is that I've noticed over the last couple of years, as I really settled into working on E-flight and Hangar Nine planes that the product developers put a lot of time into making sure those aircraft are, are, are well balanced in their flying characteristics. So like the rates are, are, are really well chosen rates. The CG is a good CG. Um, and, and those, and that attention to detail at horizons end is, is showing up on our models in the sim. And I really appreciate it. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it, it, it's yeah. It's really good to see the work, like you said, between, you know, Steve, your team and the product developers and, you know, Jeremy, you guys, and it really does. It is kind of the secret sauce, I think, for, for real flight. And especially now working with, uh, like you said, eFlight and the Horizon brands. Um, I have to come clean, guys. I don't have version 9.5 yet. I'm still running version nine. So um, I'm holding on to summer, um, you know, but I will, I will transition to 9.5 soon. But I've heard, a rumor that there are a lot of cool Easter eggs in the game, uh, many of which people end up pointing out on the real 
uh, the Real Flight Live shows each week. Steve, I do watch those, so that's kind of how I know what's going on, <laughs> even though I haven't seen it myself. Um, Jeremy, you and Steve, maybe you have a hand in this too. Do you guys have a part in coming up with some of those hidden features? And are there any that you, either of you are willing to share with the uh, podcast group or maybe somebody like me who hasn't spent as much time as I need to on the new version yet? Give me some things I should be on the lookout for. Well, I know, I know I personally don't have any, <laughs> any play in that. And I know Jeremy, some may, may have a better answer here, but I, I know that we, yeah, people are always pointing out stuff. Hey, did you know that this existed? Or hey, how'd you get that airplane? Um, but yeah, I know when we had Jeremy on the on the live, it was uh, it was fun to have him point out a few of those. But yeah, Jeremy, walk us through a couple of the at least the cool, maybe not Easter eggs, but more of the hidden features that people may not know existed. Sure. Um, my favorite one to point out is that we do have a fair amount of unlockable content. Some of which is is both really excellent and comical. Um, and most of that comes from completing our challenges, which are a great way to improve your RC skills. I am a much better pilot than I was when we first started developing the challenges for Real Flight back in Real Flight 7. And most of it is from, from developing a challenge and then having to demonstrate that I could finish all the levels I designed. Um, the, some, of the, some of my favorites there are the, uh, I think if you complete Balloon Burst 3, the third tier of the Balloon Burst Challenge, you get the uh, Flying Lawn Chair which is, is well worth your time. And uh, likewise for Limbo 3, I think you get the Golden Lawnmower. And both of those feature our favorite alligator. Um, and uh, is, you, you, should, you should definitely try to get hold of them. Yeah, there, uh, there, there's quite a few things. And we've spent time going through the game and trying to unlock those on the live. And you know, it's, it's just kind of cool that people think, well, there's all these airplanes that I can fly within real flight especially in the new Real Flight 9.5. But when you can start unlocking additional stuff just from a little bit of hard work, it's kind of rewarding and fun at the same time. So uh, really super cool. <laughs> and there's a lot more in there that people that you're not saying, but there's a lot more in there that you can find uh, that are just fun little facts and features in the game. So, it's true. All right. <laughs> well, Jeremy, I mean, Real Flight has always been really a game changer in the industry, even before I personally got into the hobby. I think I started out with... Uh, Real Flight G3.5, so it sounds like you and I kind of came into t- contact with it, although you had time with Classic, but um, time pretty much the similar time. But, um, you know, it was making huge waves then, and I, I, it's helped me become a better pilot, and it's, I mean, it's helped probably hundreds of thousands of other people become better RC pilots. Uh, what, what do you think is the single most reason it has been such a success in the industry? Oh, I, I think hands down, it's the ability to train yourself for most of your flight training if you want to. Um, you know, I did not have access to a club with a training program when I was young. And as a result, my first model was more glue than wood. Uh, Real flight it can, can definitely clear that hurdle for you, teach you the basics of flight orientation. And that's been, I think that's what's um, how it's been most important to the industry because it's brought a lot more pilots along. It used to be a commitment to showing up on Thursday night, you know, at the club field or whatever the, the night was that your instructor was there. Whereas, you know, with once real flight came along, you could sit down in front of your computer anytime you want and practice and you crash a lot. I remember when I started with real flight, I was, um, I was a little alarmed at how much I was crashing and wondering if it would be a bad habit. Um, but it turned out to be okay. And, uh, so that's that for me is the the biggest thing, uh, and it's it's probably more than half of the contribution that that Real Flight has made to the industry is just bringing along pilots who might not have otherwise made it in. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, wholeheartedly, there's there's a time where uh, even when I first started, uh, when I was a teenager, you know, it was, yeah, the only way to, well, I mean, Real Fight was out, but the, the primary way for people to go out and learn was go to the field and buddy box with someone who was, you know, had been there at the field and you had to schedule it and, you know, always wasn't the best experience because you had to follow all the rules and sometimes the club wasn't as welcoming as you wanted them to be. And Real Flight really just opened up that way for someone to say, you know what, I'm just going to figure this out. I may crash a hundred thousand times, but I'm going to figure this out. And that's basically the route that I took. Everyone told me, oh, don't, don't start out with this airplane. You need this specific trainer. I think at the time that the recommendation was like the next star, the Hobbyco next star, which is in real flight, by the way, um, or, you know, or some other, uh, air, you know, high wing trainer. Um, but I was like, no, I want to fly this plane. And, and we see that now with our customers where the customer wants to fly something cool looking. They don't necessarily want to fly the frumpy old club trainer. And things like safe technology and AS3X have really helped bridge that gap. But really, real flight was the original the original gap filler between someone not wanting to go to the field and, and just teaching themselves. And then as you guys added in training content and as we continue to update that, you know, you've got content now from Jason Merkel walking you through how to use safe and how to take off and land and do basic aerobatics. And and that's been in the in the simulator for quite some time, although recently updated. Um, it's more than just hit reset, try to fly, you can actually go through and learn specific maneuvers, which are, are really what the club trainer would have done back in the day where it was, okay, we're going to do a takeoff now. Okay, now we're going to do a figure eight. Uh, all that is now basically completable <laughs> in the game and you can do it you know, a hundred times over and not have a single risk in the air, which is really, really cool. Yeah. So, so, well, good. so I have to ask, um, you know, so we talked about the new version 9.5 coming out, but we've also recently kind of to the topic you guys are covering here, the importance of, uh, of training, you know, and using real flight as a training uh, device. Um, we also recently came out with the real flight trainer edition. Um, Jeremy, maybe you can kind of, and Steve, you know, if you, if you guys, what's the reasoning behind the trainer edition and did it pose any challenges to the knife edge team releasing this different edition? Sure. Um, so real flight trainer is something that we're really excited about. Uh, it, we just, uh, horizon came to us earlier in the year and proposed the idea of it. One of the neat things is that, uh, new, new purchasers of the Habu are getting a free copy of real flight trainer edition in the, in the box. They get a code for it along with a dongle so that that's, that's given those, those pilots a chance to fly their actual aircraft in the simulator you know, before they even get it put together if they want. And that's, I think that's a really neat synergy, but broader, it's, um, it's a less expensive version of real flight. That's strictly oriented towards, uh, teaching you to fly on a trainer aircraft. It includes six really great trainer aircraft and one of which is a helicopter and, uh, and flight lessons in there on how to fly, how to, how to get an airplane off the ground, how to fly an airplane around, uh, with and without safe. And, and that's, that's basically what's in real flight trainer edition. It doesn't include some of our other features like challenges and multiplayer, but that's not what it's for. It's really there, uh, to let you transition into RC flight using your computer. Um, it was a bit of a challenge to create, um, it turns out that with software, uh, removing something, it's not as hard as putting something in, but it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a substantial fraction of the effort. So when we, when we need to create a smaller title like Real Flight Trainer Edition, we start from the full product of Real Flight and we remove what's not, what the customer doesn't need for that experience at that price point. 
Um, and that took us, a, you know, a couple of months of, of our smartest guy or one of our smartest guys. Everybody's our smartest guy when it comes to, um, to something or other. We have, we have a, lot of, um, a lot of different areas of expertise, but it consumed a lot of resource, but we really felt like it was worth it um, to create this lower bar of entry for people who are interested in real flight strictly as a learning tool um, because they don't, they don't need all the other stuff. Yeah, I think it from a you know from like the marketing side of the house, we really wanted a way for people to yeah get into real flight. But they may got they may be the type of customer that is just unsure that they want to spend the full amount. They don't know if they're really going to get into RZ, but they want to try something. Um, and for us, it was a way for one to just focus on you know the trainer aircraft, the the aircraft they would be recommended if they went into the hobby shop. Uh, but a way for them to then try that aircraft and then decide whether or not they even have the knack for it or or the care to do it you know, and go out and buy the aircraft. So I think the the combination of giving someone a lower price point to buy into the to the software with the ability to then you know eventually grow up and get the full blown software, but also then including it in trainers uh, like the Habu is huge. I mean, you mentioned it, Jeremy. It's you know you can you can now fly your aircraft before flying your aircraft and and that it seems so simple but with the technology of today i mean flying that habu in the game whether it's the version with the landing assist sensor or the version without um you know you can really be pretty darn comfortable confident and ready to fly when you go out to the field and fly your you know multi hundred dollar aircraft you don't have to have as much stress and i know that first flight uh is always stressful for someone brand new and imagine now going, you know what? I've landed this 23 times uh, last night in, in my living room versus I've never f- even felt the throttle curve on this aircraft before, or I've never felt how it lands. That is game changing and it will ultimately bring in more people into the hobby. And I think it's, uh, it's just been, it's been a fantastic piece of the real flight puzzle uh, for, for you guys. I know for, for horizon as well. So kudos to you and the team. And I'm glad that we were able to put, uh, put that together and include it in products going forward. So um, I guess the next question I had, Jeremy, was the, you know, if you, if you yourself could make your own special version of real flight, what would you be sure to include or what uh, crazy ideas may you have had in the past that just didn't make it into the game or the simulator? So, yeah, I have, I have a pet, a pet idea that I'm going to go ahead and disclose because I don't know if we'll ever be able to do it. Um, <laughs> So we have in multiplayer, we have a bunch of different games um, and a lot of them are, well, I mean, I think all of them are fun, but not everyone does. Um, but some of them are combat type games. And one of them is a streamer combat. I, I know you guys have done it on the live podcast mm-hmm. uh, where you fly or chase around trying to cut people streamers. Well, the idea that I've pitched several times and always comes up against technology problems is to take that the other way and basically build Tron with airplanes and have you, you, your, your ribbon is infinitely long. It stays in the sky. And if you hit anybody else's ribbon, you know, you die or you take damage depending on how you set it up. And I just think that would be so much fun. But the trouble is that, um, and this is a good example of like software development decision-making, um, representing that really, really long ribbon of, of material that you've trailed behind your plane and then detecting collisions against it is an, an incredibly difficult technical challenge. Um, that doesn't mean it can't be solved. There are lots of things that we do now in games that we couldn't do, um, you know, t- 20 years ago. But as of right now, there's just no good way to make my idea work, which is makes me sad. <laughs> <laughs> well, are there any ideas? And again, I know you guys are probably already 
you know, Steve and, and Jeremy, you guys are probably already working on the next version of Real Flight because I know software development, you know, we're always working into the future. Any future ideas or things that, you know, maybe fans can look forward to that you you can talk about or is it all still under wraps? Or we do we need to just uh, enjoy the new version 9.5 for now? Or are there any, you know, cool ideas that maybe we should look for in a future version? Hmm. Well, I'm not sure we can talk too much about what the some of our ultra future stuff is. I think, I mean, Jeremy, I don't know if you have anything to say, but I, my, my comment there would be, I think, I mean, it would be great one day to be able to offer more to customers, um, but we're, we're unsure on how to do that quite yet as far as giving you more models when you want them. Um, but we're looking at stuff like that. But I think um, there are, there are a lot of exciting things to be appreciative of right now. And Jeremy, is there anything on your guys' side that, that it's more of a high level <laughs> thought process on the future or is it all, all under wraps still you think? I mean, there's, I will say first, there's a lot of exciting stuff that we're, we're working on developing between the two organizations that we can't talk about right now. Um, but I think that, I think you hit on one that is a definite goal and that we've talked about enough, um, you know, even through the live sessions to, to represent the idea of being able to deliver models more in, in real time is something we'd, we'd also really like to get to do so that uh, we're mirroring the horizon release calendar. Again, this is a goal, um, not yet the plan, but I think it's, I think it's a priority for, for both horizon and knife edge. Yeah, and I, I think, think another we, thing, go ahead. No, Sorry. no go ahead. So yeah, another thing that's worth talking about is that again, this is still uh, more of an idea or a hope than a plan. But continuing to move towards Steam uh, as, as a way that we manage and deliver the software, it's been incredibly successful um, for us uh, with Knife Edge and Horizon in dealing with our development. And we'd like to kind of bring that same responsiveness to all of our customers. Um, it's not to say that, that, um, that there's a, a plan yet, that it's, we have a target date on the calendar, but Steam has been a good, uh, good delivery service system uh, for Real Flight. And, and I think we're headed towards more presence on Steam. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, the, the gaming industry as a whole has seen huge uh, advances just with Steam coming into it. I mean, I've had Steam since I think I was in college at this point. So it's been around for yeah. quite a while. But, um, you know, I've got, I don't know, countless different games on there. But yeah, I, I think going back to the future, I think what's more kind of critical to discuss is you've got, we've got so many customers coming to us with ideas, which are great because it's always better to have a long list of, customer wants and then try to deliver on as many of those as possible. And we've got, I think the one that we both touch on people have asked for that, man, I just want to, when you guys release a plane, I want to be able to fly it in real flight first before I buy it. That'd be, that would be like, we all can agree. That would be fantastic. Um, or, you know, even the ability to do just uh, different multiplayer things, um, you know, including more people in a, in a session or, you know, doing virtual fly-ins, you know, we saw with, Jim, uh, Jim Graham from RC groups did the virtual Joan all, and he ran what he run like multiple servers to kind of put it on. Uh, and it was really cool to see that that's the industry, you know, with, with today's craziness, trying to put on something and real flight is, is behind the scenes on that, uh, as, as the, you know, as the simulator of choice. Um, but being able to do more and more with the simulator is certainly something we're all looking at and, and would love to get to that point. I know, we're, we're deep in the conversations of what, what the next gen looks like and uh, looking forward to that for sure. 
So yeah, good stuff. And and if those of you that are out there listening, you know, the the we take feedback any way we can get it through social. Uh, make sure to join our, our Real Flight Lives every other week. Uh, we'll have one tomorrow at the time of this recording, tomorrow on uh, October 8th. Uh, we'll be doing another Real Flight Live. So just make sure to join us. We're always on Facebook and YouTube for on the Horizon Hobby side of the of the pages. Uh, it's always a good time to hang out and you get to meet cool people. You get to see us fly some fun stuff. And occasionally if we have time, we open up the session and let you fly with us. So uh, that's always a, sorry for my shameless plug for the lives, but it's always a good place to get good feedback and learn what the customers are asking for. So, yeah, I did want to jump in just real quick and give a compliment to, you know, Jeremy, you and your team for producing such great software. And especially like Steve just touched on, you know, this last six months, um, you know, so much of what drives our hobby is the community aspect of it to it. And people haven't been able to get out to their local flying field or their club like they want to. And this this idea that Steve and the team here, and I know you've participated in some of these yourself, even Jeremy, but, um, you know, this idea of Real Flight Live and having these virtual events. And, yeah, what Jim Jim T. Graham did uh, with the virtual Joe Nall, um, it's just awesome. And I think has really helped our community you know, of hobbyists and enthusiasts, you know, give them something to, to participate in. So um, it's really nice how we've been able to use this technology um, to, to kind of keep the community, uh, you know, uh, engaged during this, this really crazy time. And hopefully, you know, next spring and as we get through this, we'll be able to get back out to the flying field. But it's certainly been a lifesaver um, during, during this, this year or so. Kudos to to you, Steve, and your team, and and uh, Jeremy, you guys as well for for having the software that's been able to provide such a neat experience when people need it. I think. Yeah. Well, thanks, Chris. Yeah, it's uh, it's been fun. The, the The real fight lives is really cool. It's it's cool to see you know a couple hundred people watching and and a few of us on there every every other week having a just a quick hour of flight in the middle of the work day it's a good perk of the job but uh, <laughs> you know it's it it really does bring a lot of people together and i and i see more and more people doing the simulator with the multiplayer side is that something jeremy that you guys saw as being as successful or do you think that that's gotten more successful recently the multiplayer aspect i think it has gotten more uh, more successful recently for sure and i think there are two factors there one is obviously a lot more people are at home uh, with real flight at this point. And the other is that just a few months before all this began, we did open up um, multiplayer to all real flights between real flight seven and real flight nine or now 9.5. And that's meant that people could play together that otherwise couldn't. And, and all of that has created a um, sort of a balloon in the number of people we've had playing multiplayer. It's, it's, always at least twice what we had seen before uh, we made that first change to allow everyone back together. And sometimes it's an order of magnitude more, 10 times as many people on multiplayer at a given time versus what we had before. Certainly certainly when, when the virtual Joe Nall was going on and stuff like that, we saw, saw much bigger numbers than we usually do. And that's really gratifying. Yeah, very cool. Um, well, Jeremy, I think we're uh, we've we've uh, you've got probably some real work to do here. So we really appreciate you joining us today. It's it's been very educational and great to hear your story. That's so much a, a, a part of why we do this podcast. What we like to do as we start to wrap up is give our guest a moment we call open mic. I don't think we came up with that term, but just to discuss anything that's meaningful to you or give you a chance to promote anything that you've been working on. Um, anything you want to say, uh, to the audience here, you know, the mic's all yours. Sure. Um, 
I guess the thing that I would choose to talk about in that moment is um, just how important RC has been to me as a part of aviation as a whole. Um, for me, I don't, I don't participate a lot in full-scale aviation these days, but I, I admire it and I enjoy it as a spectator a tremendous amount. And a lot of that enjoyment comes from, from my understanding of how hard uh, it is to fly even a model aircraft, much less a full-scale one. And I'm, I'm, I'm involved in a lot of full-scale projects out here at a, at a tangential level. Uh, Jim Burke, the owner of, of, of Knife Edge Software, was recently elected the president of the IAC, the International Aerobatic Club. So we do a lot with, uh, with full-scale aerobatics here, too. Uh, and, and, and one thing that's important there is that I'm going to take a moment. I know that the AMA has been working on this, and I know that individuals have been working on it, but it's worth uh, continuing to stay engaged in the, in the process with the FAA uh, and, the, and the choices that they're making with regard to model aircraft, uh, the idea of us needing to each carry a transponder unless we're at a club field um, is something that I'm really concerned about. And, uh, and while real flight lets you keep flying in a casual way, uh, we're seeing our, uh, the spaces that are reserved for us as model, model aviators uh, are getting smaller and smaller over the last decade or so. So please uh, take, your, take some time to educate yourself on the, on the issue. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Uh, but if you're listening and you're and you're a concerned pilot, um, even if you don't fly RC, if you're a full scale pilot, a lot of uh, full scale aviation has come from RC aviation, and it's a really really important time for our hobby uh, to reach out and engage on that. Um, don't be scared of sending a letter to the FAA or of working with your congressperson or whatever avenue you need to take. I know there are a lot of other issues out there right now, and they are important. I'm not saying set them aside. Um, but this is one to keep in your mind and not to forget about uh, as we're in other forms of crisis. Uh, it's still time to, to speak up for, for what we've built, you know, by using little tiny airplanes. We've kind of created the aviation world that we live in. So let's keep doing it. Yeah, very well said, Jeremy. Thank you. And yeah, there's a lot going on in the world right now. Um, but also, I think in, in times like this, sometimes people need uh, a break from everything going on in the world. And, and certainly aviation is an important part of that. And like you said, many people, including yourself, uh, owe, owe part of your career to RC. So there's a generation of aviation enthusiasts out there that we need to make sure um, have the same luxury and benefit of, of this great hobby that, that we've all been afforded. So, um, and very well put and said, thank you very much. Sure. Yeah, and for those that are interested in learning more about that particular topic, I know the AMA has some great uh, blog posts on it. Uh, you know, the remote ID period for commenting is is closed, but the FAA will come back with another, um, I guess, comment period with that, hopefully, uh, as they get through all those 50,000 plus comments that they receive. So, but you're right, Jeremy, there's there's uh, always time to be able to send a, a congressman or, or um, the FAA a letter of how you feel as a modeler. Um, and it's it's quite easy to do. And I'll, I'll try to put in a couple of resources into the podcast notes uh, for folks to be able to do that this time around. But uh, yeah, well said. It's important to protect what we have and we've, what we have had been doing for the last 75 plus years. Um, it's, uh, it's important to all of us, especially here at Horizon. I know for you guys at KnifeEd, so... Well said. Well, uh, Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, hope you had a little bit of fun and I hope those that, that got to listen, learned a little bit about what it takes to make uh, such an awesome simulator such as real flight. Um, but yeah, Jeremy, have a great rest of your day. Thanks for joining us and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. All right. All righty. Take care. 
onward and upward. Thanks a lot. <laughs> hey guys, Steve here. This episode is over, but thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the On the Horizon RC podcast. We usually put out episodes every two weeks, but lately it's been a little bit of a delay with how busy we've been at Horizon. Thank you guys so much again. Please make sure to check out the show notes for anything we talked about, uh, like the FAA stuff and anything else like the products we spoke about in the intro. Please make sure to share this podcast to all your friends that are interested in the RC hobby and definitely those that are interested in Knife Edge. Thanks so much to Jeremy again uh, for giving us an hour of his time. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. We'll see you guys on the next one. 